The following sermon, entitled Entering into the Most Holy Place, was preached on the morning of July 17, 2022, at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. Let's open God's Word this morning to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 16. We will read the first 19 verses and the text for this morning's sermon will be verses 11 through 15. I ask that you pay close attention to those as I will not reread them. Leviticus chapter 16. This is the inspired and therefore infallible Word of our God. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and he and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with the linen mitre shall he be attired. These are holy garments, therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And now verses 11-15 through are the text for this morning's sermon. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward and before the mercy seat that is in front of the mercy seat shall he sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, 
and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions in all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it and shall take of the blood of the bullock and of the blood of the goat and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. We end our Scripture reading at that point. This morning we must face a question. How is it that we as sinners can come into the presence of our holy God? Is it even possible? And we must face that question because it's fundamental to coming to the Lord's table this morning. For part of the symbolism of the Lord's Supper is the table, this piece of furniture here at the front of the sanctuary. It reminds us of the spiritual reality that when we partake of Christ by faith, we are, as it were, coming to a table to sit down with Him, to dine with Him, and to enjoy time with Him. That is, this piece of furniture is a symbol of the fellowship that we have in Jesus Christ. But now before any one of us can come to the table by partaking of the elements, we must first wrestle with the question, who's worthy to do so? Who has the right and the privilege to sit down and partake of this covenantal meal? That's the question before us. Leviticus 16 is appropriate for this occasion in that it not only provides us the answer to that question, but it does so by giving us a vivid picture of the only possible way to come into God's presence and enjoy fellowship with Him. For Leviticus 16 is the outstanding chapter in all of Scripture that details the ceremony of the great Day of Atonement. And a part of that Day of Atonement was that the priest, the high priest, Aaron, would enter into the most holy place, that back room in the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat were kept, where God Himself, God Himself dwelt in a symbolic way. And Aaron could enter into that place only on the basis of an atoning sacrifice. And in all of that, there are two truths that are essential to this morning's sermon. First, there is a way. 
it is possible to come into the presence of our God and to have fellowship with Him. And that leads to the second truth, how? Because of the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. And it's those two truths put together that provide the answer to the question that we are asking this morning. So it's with all of that in mind that we take up a consideration of this text using as our theme, entering into the most holy place. Entering into the most holy place. First, we'll look at the typical revelation of that. Second, we'll look at the Gospel fulfillment. And third, the sacramental significance. Congregation, I want you to use your imaginations for a moment. And I want you to imagine that instead of a block wall being directly behind me, instead there was a veil, a giant curtain. And that behind that veil, that curtain, there was a special room, a room shaped perfectly like a cube. And that the table of our of for the Lord's Supper, rather than being located here in the front of the sanctuary, was in fact located in that back room behind the curtain behind me in our imaginations. So that partaking of the Lord's Supper this morning would require then for each of us, one by one or collectively, to come forward to open the veil and go back into that room. That is, I'm asking you to imagine that this sanctuary was similar to the holy place of the Old Testament tabernacle with the most holy place behind me where the Ark of the Covenant would be found in the mercy seat. And now, we make that connection between the two not because the Lord's Supper is the New Testament fulfillment of the Day of Atonement. Not because the Lord's Supper has necessarily the same symbolism and meaning as the Ark of the Covenant or the Mercy Seat. But we have set up this comparison because of one point of parallelism. One key similarity between entering into the most holy place of the Old Testament tabernacle and partaking of the Lord's Supper. Namely, that both of them involve coming into the presence of Jehovah God to have fellowship with Him, to speak with Him, to draw near to Him. And therefore, both of them imply that one must be right with this God in order to have such fellowship. So if we had that special room, could you enter it? Before you answer that question, there are two truths you must bear in mind. On the one hand, we must remember whose presence we're coming into. We're coming into the presence of our holy and righteous God, Jehovah Himself. That was certainly true in the Old Testament. For God Himself, when the tabernacle was finished, came and filled that most holy place with His cloud of glory so that His glory, the Scriptures tell us, filled that most holy place. He dwelt there in a symbolic way so that to go into the most holy place was to come, as it were, into the immediate presence of Jehovah God. 
And let's not forget who this God is. This is the same God who revealed Himself at Mount Sinai. Who came down, as it were, upon that mountain. And when He did so, He came with fire. The, the earth shook. The, the mountain was full of smoke. This is the God who dwells in an inaccessible light. Who is so holy that even the sinless angels must cover their faces lest they be blinded by the, the radiance of His glory. And more to the point, this is the same God who had struck down two priests who dared to enter into His presence the wrong way. That's the context here. Verse 1 reminds us of that. The Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron. It's referring to the history recorded in Leviticus 10, which records the sin of Nadab and Abihu using strange fire, fire from somewhere other than the altar of the Lord, to burn incense in the presence of Jehovah. And God struck them down dead for that sin. And that then was a, a reminder that to come into the tabernacle, to enter into the most holy place was to dare to come into the presence of the God of heaven and earth. So if we face the question, who may come to the Lord's table? Who may enter into that imaginary special room behind me? We must remember, first of all, we're talking about coming into the presence of a holy God. We must also remember who we are. That secondly, and we must remember about ourselves that we are an unclean people. That's what the law reminds us of. That's what the law certainly declared to the Old Testament Israelites. It did so especially through the various ceremonial laws that prescribed whether one was clean or unclean. And that's the, the other part of the context here in Leviticus chapter 16. Because between Leviticus 10 and Leviticus 16, 11-15 through 15 are all those laws about whether one was clean or unclean based on what you ate or what you touched. And what those laws did, what they shouted to the Old Testament Israelites was, unclean! You are all unclean! Unclean because of what you've touched. Unclean because of what's within you. So that any Old Testament Israelite who took those laws even remotely seriously knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I have no right to come into the presence of a perfectly holy God. I deserve to be banished outside of the camp to be sent away from this God. And is that not the same thing the law has reminded us of? For we too have considered God's law in the week gone by as we've examined ourselves. And that law has declared the same message. Unclean. You and I are unclean in that we are spiritually dirty on account of our sins. And therefore, 
of ourselves, not one of us, has the right to enter into the presence of this holy God, to come to the Lord's table. That's the only conclusion that can be drawn. The congregation, the point of this sermon is not to leave us with a sense of despair. This morning, we are not left without hope. Because the whole point of this passage is that there is a way. Only one way, but there is a way. The point of this passage is not it's impossible to come into God's presence. The point is not even so much how restricted it appears here in Leviticus 16. The whole message, the whole point of the Day of Atonement is that it is possible to come into the presence of our God. It's possible for each one of us as individual believers. That's what comes out when we look at Aaron First of all, as an individual. In the rest of this first point, we're going to look at him first as an individual, then as a high priest in his office. When we look at him as an individual, we see how we as individuals can come into the presence of God. And now there's warrant for looking at Aaron this way because ordinarily, we must focus on Aaron or any priest as a representative sent on behalf of the people. But here... The passage itself makes a distinction between Aaron as the individual and Aaron as the high priest and that first he has to make an offering for himself and only then does he make an offering on behalf of the people. Notice the comparison between verses 11 and 15. Verse 11, And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering which is for himself and shall make an atonement for himself. And again at the end of the verse, he shall kill the bullock of the sin offering which is for himself. But then in verse 15 we read, and he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people. So there's a distinction here. So how could Aaron come into the presence of God? How could he enter into the holy place? And we can break down the, the steps that he had to go through into three main steps. First, he had to make a sin offering. That's verse 11 that we were just reading. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. That is, before he ever set foot in the tabernacle itself, when he was still outside of the tabernacle, he was to take a bullock, a young bull, a steer, lay his hand upon the head of it, symbolizing the transfer of guilt. He would then take a knife and slit the throat of that animal, collecting the blood of that bullock in some basin, in some vessel. And after the animal was dead, he would then take the carcass and put it upon the altar of burnt offering which was outside, lay it upon the altar so that it would be consumed with fire. He had to make an offering. That first of all. Second, according to this passage, he was to 
take a censer of incense into the presence of God. That's verses 12 and 13. And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of the fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. So he's to take a censer. A censer is just a a metal container that you would put burning coals in. And the passage specifies these burning coals must come from the altar of the burnt offering. That's exactly what Nadab and Abihu had done wrong. They had taken fire from some other source. But God said the fire must come from the altar. That is, it must be the exact same fire that had licked up, as it were, the blood of the sacrifice. Use that fire. Put it in a censer and bring with you incense. Think sweet-smelling spices. And then enter into the most holy place. Put the incense into the censer on the burning coals so that the burning coals would create a cloud as that incense is burned and a, a sweet smell. And carry that with you into the most holy place. And verse 13 underscores the, the need for this. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. So that you do not die. And the idea is this, that to peel back that veil to enter into the most holy place was to be immediately confronted with this cloud, this bright cloud of God's glory and of His holiness. And it was the the cloud of smoke coming from the censer that served to diminish, as it were, to shield the high priest, at least in a symbolic way, from the the brightness of God's glory so that he would not have a direct vision. Again, we're talking in typical language here. Of Jehovah God Himself. So that secondly is what the high priest had to do. First, make a sin offering. Second, take this this censer of burnt incense into the presence of God. And then third, sprinkle blood upon and before the mercy seat. That's verse 14. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before, that is in front of the mercy seat, shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. So now picture Aaron in the most holy place behind the veil. And he dips his fingers into the the blood that he's carried within him, carried in with him. And he he sprinkles it. And as he does this, he's praying the whole time. It's implied here. And he's praying on account of his own sinfulness. He's confessing his sins. His own uncleanness and the fact that he deserves to be consumed with the fire of God's wrath on account of his sin. But then, as he confesses that, he's sprinkling blood. And it's because of the blood 
that he is not consumed, that he does not, that he is not struck down in a moment. And the very fact that he is able to walk out of there alive was a testimony that his sins had been forgiven. And so what all of this points to is that the only way, the only possibility of coming into God's presence and having fellowship with Him is on the basis of an atoning sacrifice. That's what we see when we look at Aaron as an individual. But now we also have to look at him as a high priest. And the lesson we learn there is the need that we have as a people for a mediator to make this sacrifice on our behalf. We need another to do it. And again, that's what comes out when we look at Aaron as a high priest. And again, there's warrant for that because after he's done making sacrifices for himself, he repeats the whole process a second time for the people. That's verse 15. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do it and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. First time, he brings his own offering. Second time, he brings an offering on the behalf of the people. First time, he's confessing his own sin as he sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat. The second time, he's confessing the sins of the people as he sprinkles that blood. He went there as his rep- he went there as a representative. And that comes out especially in the garments that he wore. He did this entirely clad in those high priestly garments. That's verse 4. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with a linen girdle. With the linen mitre shall he be attired. These are holy garments. And the clothing of the high priest was much of it was symbolic of the fact that he was a representative of the people, that he was there on their behalf. Because perhaps you'll remember that a part of those priestly garments were those two onyx stones on his shoulders with the the names of the twelve tribes engraved into them. Telling us that a high priest is one who carries the people on his shoulders as he comes into the presence of God. And what is more, he had that breastplate with the twelve jewels, each one representing a different tribe so that the high priest not only carries the people upon his shoulders, but he he keeps them close to his heart. He loves them. And the people are on his heart and mind as he goes about his work. He's representing the people. And it's when we look as Aaron as a high priest that we see that the only way for us as a people to come into the presence of God is if we have a mediator. One to represent us. One to go there for us. Because if we try to go by ourselves, God will strike us down. We are as good as dead if left to ourselves. We need another. That's the typical revelation that's set forth here in Leviticus chapter 16. And all of this points us unmistakably 
to our Savior Jesus Christ. The Gospel fulfillment of all this is found in Him. For first of all, Jesus Christ is our sin offering. Jesus Christ is the spotless Lamb. Yes, here in Leviticus 16, we're reading about a bullock or a goat or a ram. But whatever animal is in view, all of them are meant to point us to Jesus Christ. And it's for that very reason that whatever animal was brought forward had to be without blemish. It could have no defects. That's not mentioned here specifically in Leviticus 16. But back in Leviticus 4, which details the sin offering, there it is mentioned explicitly. This bullock must be without blemish. It must not be a sick animal. It must not be a lame animal. But it must be the best animal you have. Perfect. Because it's meant to point to the sinless One. To the One who had no imperfections, no blemishes whatsoever, namely Jesus Christ Himself. But yet, though He had no sin of His own, He was made sin for us and that He became a sin-bearer. And that's the reason for the high priest placing His hand upon the head of the animal, both with His own offering as well as the offering of the people. That points us to the fact that it's our sin and guilt that's placed upon Jesus Christ. This is giving us a vivid illustration of the whole idea of the imputation of our sins. There's a transfer of guilt taking place here from the sinful ones to the spotless one. And now it's as our sin bearer that Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary. That is, He went to the altar. Yes, as New Testament Christians, we do have an altar. The book of Hebrews tells us that. For an altar is very simply the place of a sacrifice. And the place of Jesus Christ's sacrifice was the tree, the cross at Calvary. It was there that His blood was shed, not by the slitting of His throat, but on account of nails being driven through His hands. On account of a spear being pressed into His side. It was there He gave His blood. That is, it was there He gave His life. And what is more, it was there that He endured the fiery wrath of our God. Because remember that fire underneath the altar, underneath the sacrifice is a part of the type. It's a part of the picture. And then it points us to the fiery wrath of our God that was unleashed upon Jesus Christ as payment for our sin. And it was in that way that Jesus Christ made atonement. And that's the main message here with the sin offering. Verse 11, He shall make an atonement. There's a reason this is called the, the Day of Atonement. That's the heart and center of this day. And all of it points to 
the atoning death of Jesus Christ who went to the cross to satisfy God's justice, His wrath, to pay the debt that we would otherwise owe for our sins. He made propitiation. And He did all this as our substitute. He went there on our behalf. He took our place. And all this is to say, Christ is our sin offering. It's in Jesus Christ that we find the fulfillment of this passage in Leviticus chapter 16. But now we see that not only in the sin offering, we see that also in the priest because secondly, Jesus Christ is our high priest. He did not go about His work as an individual. Why would He need to do this work as an individual? He did it on our behalf as our representative. You understand He's qualified for that work. He's qualified exactly because He's the sinless One. You see, Aaron as a type falls short of the reality because he had to make an offering for himself first. Before he gets to the work of representing the people, bringing a sacrifice on their behalf, he must first make a sacrifice for himself because he himself was a sinner. But not so with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ did not have His own sins He first had to pay for before He could ever get to our sins. But He's qualified to be our High Priest exactly because He is the sinless One who could focus, as it were, entirely on our sin. And it's as our High Priest, therefore, that He brings us into the veil, within the veil. That's a part of the symbolism. After Aaron makes the sacrifice outside, he enters into the veil. He goes into the presence of God. And so too with Christ. After He makes the sacrifice outside the gates of the city, then He enters into the holy place. Heaven itself, the reality. And He went there as our representative. He went there dressed, as it were, with those priestly garments. Carrying us upon His shoulders. Into the presence of God so that because our head is there, we are there with Him in principle so that we can be absolutely confident that one day He will bring us there to be with Him. And so that we can enjoy life with our God already here, already now. And He carried us not only upon His shoulders, but He carried us upon His chest. Near to His heart. Because He loves us. And it's in His love for us that He prays. He ever lives to make intercession. He's there praying on our behalf. Sprinkling the blood as it were. Pointing back to His saving work at Calvary. Even as He prays, Father, forgive them. 
He's our high priest. And because He is our sin offering and our high priest at the same time, that means in and through Him, we may come into the presence of God to have fellowship with Him. To use the language of Ephesians 2, verse 18, for through Him, that is for through Christ, we have access by one Spirit unto the Father. We can go to Him. We can go to Him, for example, in prayer. We can speak to Him. We can pour out our hearts before Him. We can bring our supplications and requests. And it's knowing that we have Jesus Christ as our High Priest. That is the encouragement to pray. That's Hebrews 4. Seeing then that we have a great High Priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have access unto Jehovah God Himself. And that access is far greater than what we see in this type than what we see in this shadow here in Leviticus 16. For with this picture, the access is restricted. It's limited. You may come into God's presence one time each year. It's as though you had to to book a, a calendar meeting with Him. Schedule something with Him. And what is more, it was only one man coming. Yes, he's coming as a a representative. But if we look at Aaron as an individual, it's one man. Only one who, who has this privilege of coming so close to Jehovah God. But the reality is far greater. The reality is we may come anytime. You do not need to schedule a meeting with Him. He does not have to check His calendar to make sure He's available for you. But any moment of any day, we can approach our God in prayer. And this is true of all of God's people. It's not just reserved for office bearers. It's not just reserved for the men, but young and old. Men and women. Jew and Gentile, we all have access unto Jehovah God because of the saving work of Jesus Christ. That's the glorious fulfillment. The Gospel fulfillment of this passage. So the one main idea here is that because of the saving work of Jesus Christ, we may enter into the presence of our God And that does have special application to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. There's relevance to the occasion this morning. For as we pointed out, there is at least one clear parallel between entering into the most holy place in the Old Testament and coming to the table of Jesus Christ in this sacrament. Both involve coming into the presence of our God to have fellowship 
with our God. Of ourselves, we have no right for either one. Whether we were Old Testament Israelites or New Testament, living in the New Testament. But because of the saving work of Jesus Christ, we may now come. We may come forward as it were. Walk to the front of the church. Go through that veil and into the special room. And partake of this sacrament. And this is meant to be an encouragement for us. An encouragement especially for the doubting child of God who struggles with a lack of assurance. For the child of God who has examined himself in the week gone by and found himself wanting. So much so that he or she or you come to church this morning wondering, will God receive me? Can anyone come to the Lord's table? So that as we drove to church this morning, as we contemplated the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, perhaps we felt like Queen Esther of old who had to appear before a fickle king Ahasuerus wondering, is he going to hold out the scepter to me? Or when he sees me, is he simply going to order to have my head chopped off? Child of God, if that's where you're at this morning, let Leviticus 16 be the encouragement you need. There is access. There is a way into His presence. And it's by faith in Jesus Christ. Come this morning looking to Jesus Christ and trusting that what He did at Calvary was for you, child of God. Come without fear. Without doubt, knowing that He does indeed hold out the scepter to you. And He welcomes you to His table. Amen. Let us pray. Father in Heaven, we thank Thee for the vivid and beautiful type that we have considered this morning, this Old Testament revelation of the saving work of Jesus Christ. Because it has painted a picture for us to enable us to understand better, more deeply, more fully the saving work of Christ. And for that, we are thankful. Feed and nourish our souls with this Thy Word. And be pleased also to feed and nourish our souls by means of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Hear this prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.